proper for me at this point to thank also your interim moderator, uh, Rory Stott, for asking me along as well to preach to you. It's a great privilege to do so. We're here to worship God, and we're going to begin the public worship of his name by singing to his praise in Psalm 95. Psalm 95, that's a Scottish Psalter version of the psalm, and we're singing from the beginning. Let me read these verses. O come, let us sing to the Lord. Come, let us everyone a joyful noise make to the rock of our salvation. Let us before his presence come with praise and thankful voice. Let us sing psalms to him with grace and make a joyful noise. For God, a great God and great King, above all gods he is. Depths of the earth are in his hand, the strength of hills is his. To him the spacious sea belongs, for he the same did make. The dry land also from his hands its form at first did take. O come and let us worship him, let us bow down with all, and on our knees before the Lord, our maker, let us fall. Let us sing these verses of Psalm 95, verses 1 to 6, to God's praise. O come, let us sing to the Lord, come let us every one.
Well, let us call upon the name of God in prayer. Gracious and ever-blessed God, it is our great privilege this morning to respond to the call of the psalmist who calls us to come before the Lord with praise and with thankful voice. O come and let us worship him. Let us bow down with all and on our knees before the Lord our maker. Let us fall. And as we present ourselves at this time before the God who is high and lifted up, who is holy, 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 who is the creator of heaven and earth, who sustains the universe in all of its vastness and in all of its wonder, the one who is the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God to whom be all praise, honor, and glory. Help us to bow the knees of our own souls. Help us to come with reverence and with godly fear. Help us also to come with that joy and uh, that gladness which ought always to constitute and to characterize the people of God as they gather together. For Lord, we have reason to mourn today as we consider our own sins, as we consider how offensive they are to thee, the God who is holy, and as we consider also how offensive they have become to ourselves. Uh, For thy people learn to hate sin and to love righteousness. And so it is with mourning that we say with the apostle, the good that I would, I do not, and the evil that I would not, that I do. We mourn over these things, and we bring these things to the foot of the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we receive the, pro- the promise which says to us, Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. But we come not merely as a mourning people, but we come as a thankful and as a rejoicing people, uh, that the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Lord, we are only worthy that we should perish. We are due the wrath and the curse of God. And so it is a great wonder to us that the Son of Man came into the world to seek and to save the lost, that in due time Christ died for the ungodly, not for the good, not for the holy, but for those who were his own enemies, those who had rebelled against him. And truly, Lord, we can say that we were in their midst and continue to be so. Uh, for we all like sheep have gone astray, the prophet said. We have turned each of us to our own way, but the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. Him who was wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement of our peace was laid upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. And so, Lord, we seek together to rejoice in the hope that is ours in the Lord Jesus Christ, that he has done for us that which we were unable to do for ourselves, that he has died that we might live. He was forsaken on Golgotha's cross that we might never be forsaken, if indeed our trust is in him. And so, Lord, we pray that even today that we might have a measure of assurance if we have trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ. For any who are yet to do so, Lord, by thy Spirit, come in power, open the windows of heaven, 
and draw them with uh, cords of a man and with bands of love, with irresistible grace, that they might hear the effectual call and that they might be united to the Lord Jesus Christ by faith and help us who do profess the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, not only to profess it, but help us by our life and by our conversation to walk in the Spirit, uh, to live according to the light that is given to us, to walk worthy of the gospel. Lord, we come short in so many ways in that too. We would be more prayerful. We would be more holy. We would be more careful. We would seek more and more to walk circumspectly, redeeming the time for the days are evil. But Lord, we need thy help, conscious that without the Lord Jesus Christ, we can do nothing. But as the apostle could say, so we can say with him, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Bless this congregation. We give thanks for them, for their witness, for their faith, for their prayerfulness, for their allegiance to the truth as we have it in the scriptures. We ask thy blessing to be upon them in a time of vacancy. Undertake for them, we pray. Provide one who would be a preacher of the gospel to them. Bless their office bearers, their members, and all those who adhere to the congregation. Further them and further the cause of Christ in their midst. Keep them, Lord, and grant that they would know uh, the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Grant that they might see fruit for their labor and answers to their prayers, and that together they might have reason to say that the Lord is good and the Lord does good. Bless our nation and those who rule over us. Bless our king and royal family, our prime minister, our first minister, and all who rule with them in Westminster and Hollywood. Do them good, we pray, and remember us as a nation when we have strayed so far from the truth, when we have trodden the law of God under our feet, and when we have despised the gospel of grace. Oh, we pray that thy spirit would come in power and that we would be turned again to the truth. Turn us again, Lord God of hosts, and upon us vouchsafe to make thy countenance to shine, and so we shall be safe. Bless us together, Lord, and continue with us as thy word is opened, as we seek to meditate upon it, as we seek to learn from it. Grant that we would have open ears and open hearts, and that we would not leave the building today as we came into it, but that we would be sanctified by the truth. Thy word is truth. Go before us, then we pray, and forgive us graciously for sin. For Christ's sake, amen. Well, let us now read God's word as we find it in the Gospel according to Matthew. The Gospel according to Matthew and chapter 25. And we're reading from verse 14. For it, that is the kingdom of heaven, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground 
and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had the two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man. Reaping where you did not sow, and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sowed, and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to him who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Amen. We pray that the Lord would bless his own word to us, and to his name be all the praise and all the glory. We've well, been asked now to address the children. Uh, you stay where you are, it's good. Um, well, boys and girls, I'm going to tell you a wee story that I heard about. I can't remember, was it a wee boy or a wee girl? And he or she was in Glasgow, okay? And this wee boy or wee girl was, I hope, like what you are yourselves, very good at helping in the house. So let's say it was a wee boy. He would always make his bed in the morning. When he had his breakfast, when he had his cereal, he would always put the bowl over to the sink. He would help drying the dishes and doing all sorts of other wee jobs. And this particular week, he'd been really good. And so his mother said to him, well, I'm going to give you some pocket money. And do you know how much she gave him? She gave him seven pounds. And she said, we're going into Glasgow uh, on Saturday, and you can spend that seven pounds on whatever you want. So he went in, and he was very excited to have this seven pounds, because he had his wee wallet, and he put the seven coins in there. Okay? And he went in, and he was walking down the streets of Glasgow. And do you know what he noticed as he was looking at all the shops? He noticed that quite often sitting outside the shops were poor people who were begging and who didn't seem to have anything themselves. And there was him with his seven pounds, which really, he had food at home, he had good clothes, he had a bed to sleep in. And he thought to himself, well, do you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to keep one pound for myself, and I'm going to give the rest to one of these poor people. So he went up to this man who had nothing, and he took out the seven coins out of his hand, and he was just about to hand over six to this man. But do you know what the man did? He wasn't a very good man. 
he took all seven coins out of his hand. He snatched them, and then he ran off. And the boy was left with nothing. Think of that. He was going to give six of the coins away, and actually the man stole even the seventh one as well. That was really terrible for the boy, and I hope that his mother maybe gave him a few extra pounds. But you know what the lesson of the story is, boys and girls? God has given us seven days, seven days in a week, and he says for six of these days we are to work, we're to go to school, we're to play, we're to to do many of the things that we like to do. But there's a seventh day, and that's today, isn't it? Sunday, or the Lord's Day, or the Sabbath, as we sometimes call it. And that day is different. And God says, in many ways, that's the best day of all. Because Sunday, you get to spend with me, going to church. When you go home, you don't perhaps do a lot of the things that you would normally do. You don't switch on the telly and watch Nickelodeon or whatever it is. You perhaps try to spend the time with your family, maybe playing Bible games, reading the Bible, reading good books about missionaries and other things. It's a different day. It's a day particularly for God. But do you know if we decide to spend the Sabbath day, the Lord's day, just as we spend every other day, if we sit at home on the Sabbath day playing our PlayStation or Xbox or screaming about the house, do you know what we're like? We're a wee bit like that bad poor man who was given six pounds but said, that's not enough. I want the seventh one as well. And so he took all to himself. Let's not be like that man. Let's accept that God has given us six days to do our own things, although God's things as well, but six days to play, to work, to go to school, to do all these things, but one special day to keep for himself. So, boys and girls, see that as the commandment says, that you remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. The Lord would bless these thoughts to you. Now, I believe we do the Lord's Prayer. Okay, so we can... Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're going to sing again now in Psalm 9. It's in the Sing Psalms version of the Psalm. We are reading from verse 7, a Psalm which speaks to us about God as the judge of all the earth, the judge who will do right and who will act justly, and the judge who will care for those, even poor, oppressed people who look to himself. So the Lord, verse 7, forever reigns on high. His throne for judgment stands. He'll judge the world in righteousness. With justice rule the lands. The Lord will be a hiding place for those who are oppressed. And he will be a strong defense for those who are distressed. All those who know your name, O Lord, in you their trust will place. For you do not abandon those who seek your gracious face. Sing praises to the Lord who sits on Zion on his throne. Among the nations of the world, proclaim what he has done. I'm going to sing then verses 7 to 11 of Psalm 9, 9a, to God's praise. The Lord forever reigns on high, his throne for judgment stands.
Well, now with a view to God's blessing, if you would turn back with me to the portion of Scripture which we read together, we're going to consider together the parable of the talents. We can take our text from verse 15 to one, he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. In verse 19, we read, Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. Well, Matthew chapters 24 and 25, they constitute a sermon in themselves. Jesus' last public uh, discourse, although primarily delivered to his own disciples and those who were following him. Uh, And Interestingly, the last sermon that he gives is on his own second coming, on the end of the world, a subject which many people find very interesting, a subject which people like to speculate about in great detail, but a subject which Jesus, on which Jesus gives us really quite clear information as to what we are to look for as we wait for him to come again, but primarily how we are to prepare for the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we can sum up his, his counsel, his commandments, as to how we are to prepare by going back to the previous chapter, chapter 24, and reading verse 44. And he says, Therefore you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. So he tells us that he is coming again as he came a first time, he will surely come a second time. As he came the first time to save, so the second time he will come to judge. And our great uh, responsibility in light of this isn't to figure out exactly when it's going to happen, we're told that, that we don't know, isn't to make sure that we know every detail of what's going to happen, because if we're honest, it can be quite difficult to understand all of it. But our greatest responsibility in light of the fact that Christ is coming again is to make sure that we're ready, that we're prepared for when he comes again. And so this chapter, chapter 25, begins with a parable, the parable of the wise and the foolish virgins. And the lesson of this parable, without going into any detail, is that the church is to watch, the church is to be ready, the church isn't to be asleep, when Christ comes again. But J.C. Ryle, let let me quote quote him, because he compares the parable of the wise and foolish virgins with the parable of the talents. And he says, the story of the virgins calls on the church to watch. The story of the talents calls on the church to work. So one is calling us to vigilance, to watch, and then the one that we're going to consider today is calling us to diligence, to work. So we're not only to be mindful that it's coming, we're not only to be waiting for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, but we are to be working in light of it. You remember perhaps the church in Thessalonica, and they were obsessed with this subject. Let's be honest, there are churches today that are obsessed with this subject. But because they were so obsessed with it, and because they thought that it was imminent, they didn't do anything. They weren't working, they were just walking about talking about it. And Paul's lesson to them was, You have to work. You have to fulfill the commandments of God. You have to be useful in your church, useful in your society. 
And so that is what we're being called to here, to make sure that when the Lord comes, not only are we waiting for him to come, but that we're working for him when he comes. And I think that if you're like me, out of all of the parables in the Gospels, you might find this to be one of the most challenging of all. So we're going to consider the parable together. And the first thing that we want to see is, is the commission or the work that the master in this parable gave to his servants. We read in verse 14, For the kingdom of God will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, another two, another one, according to their ability. Then he went away. So this is a businessman, very wealthy businessman. And he's going away on a journey, probably a business journey, and he's got people working for him, uh, these servants, and he gives them part of his estate. Now, these servants are actually slaves. We struggle with the concept of slavery, not without reason. But we can't understand parables like this without accepting that slavery was just common practice throughout most of the history of the world. We think of slavery as a racial thing. Well, slavery wasn't a racial thing in, in the Bible. You had slaves who were white. You had slaves who were black. You had slaves from all sort of ethnic um, origins. So, so that wasn't part of it. But it tended to be that if a people went out to battle, and if they won the battle, then they would take prisoners, and these prisoners would become slaves. That's just the way that it worked. And it was common for people who were in employment to, to basically not be free men or free women. They were slaves, and that meant that they belonged to their master. It wasn't just that they signed a contract and that there were uh, conditions in this contract that they could get out of. They were literally not their own. They belonged to their master. And that's not to say that they were poorly treated, um, many slaves, they were paid. In fact, many of them were paid so much that if they worked long enough, they could buy themselves out of slavery. They could pay their ransom price. Uh, ransom was the official term that, for, for the price of a slave. So they weren't badly treated. Some of them were, of course. Many of them weren't. They weren't all manual labor, laborers either. Many of them would be basically accountants or, or estate managers or people like these who, who were given great responsibility and great money to deal with. Now, the reason I highlight this is that we're all the slaves of God, essentially, in that God owns us. God is our creator. And because he has made us, therefore we are his. We are not our own. That's true of everybody. We all Oh God ourselves, we owe God all that we are and all that we have. It's per perhaps particularly true of the church. You remember what Paul said to the Corinthians. He said, you are not your own, for you were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. You are not your own. That is true of every single one of us. Now, to each of these slaves who belonged to him, he gave a talent. Now, we think of a talent as something that we're good at. We'll come to why we think of a talent in that way. But a talent was actually a unit of measurement. It came, I think, originally from Babylon. Um, it was around 70 pounds weight that that was a talent. Um, normally, talents were measured in gold and silver. So a talent of gold, a talent of silver, sometimes in other precious metals as well. But probably by the time that Jesus is speaking here, 
when he was thinking about talent, he was probably thinking of it in terms of its, its worth. And a talent was generally seen to be around 6,000 denarii, 6,000 Greek drachma. Now, for one day's manual labor, you would get one denarius, one drachma. So one talent was worth 6,000 days of labor. So that's around, given holidays and so on, it's about 20 years. You would work 20 years in order to be able to afford a talent. Now let's say an average wage is maybe around £25,000 a year or something like that. And if you're working for 20 years at £25,000 a year, then you'll make around £500,000. That's if you don't spend a penny of it. So when we're talking about being given talents here, one talent, two talents, five talents, it's not child's play. We're talking about big money. We're talking about big responsibility. You're talking about one of them being given £500,000, another one a million, and another two and a half million, each according to their ability. And he says, here you go, here's the money, now go off and trade with it. Go off and trade and make more money. And so he leaves them with this huge responsibility, with this huge honour, really. It's a great honour to be given responsibility. It's a great honour to be trusted with responsibility. But it was also a huge work. You know, if somebody was to give you two and a half million pounds today, um, well, firstly, if people found out, you would probably have people knocking on your door saying, well, if you want us to invest that money for you, we can do that. We can get you a good return. But you can go yourself and you can go on the internet and say, well, what's the best way to invest this money? Who can help me? And you can basically give all that money away and you can get it back in five years and you might have, well, a 10% return, maybe even more. So it's relatively easy to invest. In these days, you didn't have investment brokers as such. You had to, if you were given that money, you had to go and you had to spend it. You had to go and spend it wisely, perhaps buying land, buying farms, buying property, buying whatever it was, and then selling it on and selling it on at a profit. And that's what they were called to do. They were called to this great work. The master was going away, but it was going to be a hard time for them. It was going to be a busy time for them, a time which would reap its own rewards but they were going to have to work hard. And, and that's what some of them did. We read in verse 16 here. He who had received the five talents, he went at once. Note he didn't, didn't wait a minute. He went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So the one who had two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, let's come back a, a minute to the beginning. For the kingdom of heaven, or it, is like a man going on a journey. What Jesus is saying is this, this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. This is what the church is like. This is what the visible church is like, which is usually what the kingdom of heaven, the way that Jesus is using it, usually what it means. The visible church, which contains good and bad, which contains sincere and hypocrite. This is what it is like. The Lord has entrusted to each of those who belong to the kingdom of heaven, those who belong to the visible church, which I would imagine is all of you, unless you're here today for the very first time ever and have no connection to the church, perhaps you are. But for most of us, we all belong to the kingdom of heaven, whether we profess the Lord Jesus Christ or we sit at the Lord's table or not, whether we go to a prayer meeting or not, we all belong to the kingdom of heaven. And the Lord has entrusted each of us with his own resources, with his own wealth, we can even say with his own talents. That word talent, we use it for something that we're good at. 
It's actually, if you trace back the, the history of the English word talent, it will always take you back to this parable. And the way that we use a talent today as something that we are good at comes from this, because what we are good at, the talent that we have, whether it's administrative talent, talent for speaking, talent for cooking, whatever it is, it was always understood that that talent was given to us, given to us by God. So whatever talent we have, and it's not just things that you're good at, but a talent could also, in the biblical sense, mean things that have been given to you, opportunities that you have, privileges that are yours. So whether it's your health, being in good health, being able to do things, being able to work for the Lord, whether it's the, the intellect, intellectual capacity that you have, perhaps it's the influence that you have over other people because of your work, maybe because you're a parent or a grandparent or uh, whatever it might be, these things are talents in the biblical sense. Maybe it's the time that you have in your hands. Maybe it's the money that you have in your bank. Maybe it's the home that you've been given. Maybe it's the fact that you have a Bible in your hand, a Bible in your home. Maybe it's that you're part of a church. All of these things, that you hear the gospel, that you've been called to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you've been taught from the scriptures, that you've been taught to pray, that you know that you have access to, to prayer, that, that, that you're not in the dark concerning these things. All of these things, all of these privileges that are yours, all of these talents that you've been given, you possess them, but God owns them. They're not ours. Your house isn't yours. It's in your name. Your car isn't yours. Your health isn't yours. Your money isn't yours. Yes, you possess it. You're assured of it. You've been given a loan of it, but it's not yours. It's God's. And the God who gave can take away. And the God who gave will one day take away. But how important for us to know, not only that all of these things, all of the talents that we have, all the things that we're good at, all the things that we're able to do, all the privileges that we have, all the opportunities that we have, that not only has God given them to us, but he's given them to us for a reason. What's that reason? Well, for his glory, for him, himself, for his work, for his cause. And that's what he says to you. I have given you all of this. Go, go out and use it. Go out and spend it in my work for my cause and bring me, a, me back a profit. Bring me back a profit. Multiply my wealth. Bear fruit for me. That's what God is saying to you. With the house that he's given to you. With the family that he's given you. With the workplace that he's given you. With everything that he's given you. He's saying, use it for me. You are mine. You are my slave. I own you. Use all that you have for me. Now, of course... Some have much privilege, some have less privilege. Some have great talents, some have talents that aren't so great. And we see that here. To one was given five talents, to one two, to one just one. Each according to their ability. And we can say, well, why are some given more than others? Um, I think that's essentially to waste our time. But what we should be mindful of here is that, that God gives according to our ability and he expects according to our ability. So put it like this, if our health is a, a, a great blessing, a great privilege, a talent in the biblical sense, God expects more from those who have their health, from those who are sick. He expects more perhaps from the rich than he does from the poor. He expects more from an adult than he does from a child. He expects more from a Christian or somebody brought up in a church 
than he expects from a heathen, somebody who hasn't been brought up in a church. But the fact is that God has given to all, and he expects from all. He expects you to work while it is day, for the night comes when no man can work. And I want to ask you, and I ask myself, are you honestly working for the Lord today with what he's given you? Are you honestly living for the Lord? Are you using your talents, using your privileges, using your influence? Are you using it for yourself? Are you even using it for your family, which is an extension of yourself? Or are you dedicating all of these things to the Lord, to his cause, to his church, to his people? That's a searching question, and and I'll leave it with you. But we come now to consider, we've seen the commission that was given. This parable really focuses on the reckoning, the reckoning. Verse 19, we read, After a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So he comes and he basically says, what have you done with it? What I left you, the talent that I left you, let's see what you've done. Let's see what return you've got for me. And of course, as we bring this to ourselves spiritually and to the kingdom of heaven, we understand that there is a time when the Lord will reckon with each of us. That word reckon is actually historically an accounting term where the the figures are balanced, basically. And the Lord will balance the figures with each and every one of us. We will all be called to give account of our stewardship, the things that we had, the opportunities that were ours, the privileges that were ours. God will say to every one of us, what did you do with it? The intellectual capacity that I gave you, what did you do with it? That beautiful home that I gave you, how did you use it for my glory? The time that I gave you, the health that I gave you, that church that I allowed you to be a part of, that gospel, that preaching which I, which I gave you to hear, what did you do with it? Because we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, and one day we will, that everyone might receive the deeds done in the body according to what he's done, whether it be good or whether it be bad. Or as Paul says to the Romans, so then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. You will one day give account of yourself and all that you've done to God, and, and so will I. And so did these men to their own master. So let's consider each of them just briefly. We have the man of five talents, first of all, in verse 20. He who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. Now, I suppose it's easy for us to say, well, he was given five talents. It was a sure thing that he was going to come back with some sort of profit. But actually, it is the case that many fives return nothing, and many ones return something. In this case, the five had a good return, and the one had a bad return. But if you think of it, there are many people who are what we would call fives, brought up with every privilege, brought up in a Christian home, brought up in a Christian church, and who really return very little or nothing at all to God. There are others, and they are what we would call ones, and they didn't have the Christian home, they didn't have the Christian church, and they were basically heard the gospel, and they were converted there and then out of the darkness that they were in, and they perhaps gave a great return to the Lord. Perhaps they returned a five to the Lord. So it's not the fact that, well, he was a five, he was always going to return a five. That's not what's being said. The point here is that 
he was diligent with what he had. He worked hard. And so he says, you gave me these five, and look, look, I, I've worked hard, and, and here's five more. And there's delight. There's delight in the, in, in the very words that he's speaking, that he's managed to do this. He's excited about it. Why? Because he's made himself rich. Well, no, he hasn't made himself rich. But he's made money for his master. And you see that the respect that he has for his master, you always see the almost see that the love that he has for his master, how happy he is, how delighted he is that he's been able to do this for his master. And what we have here, friends, is a picture of those who don't just hear the gospel, but those who believe the gospel. Those who don't just have Bibles, but who study their Bibles. Those who don't just know that prayer is a thing that Christians can do, but who spend time in prayer, who labor in prayer. Those who don't just read the commandments of God and say, ah, it's, it's so hard and it's so difficult and I could never be holy like that. But those who intentionally, truly follow after holiness and want to be Christ-like. It's a picture of those who seek to share their faith, to witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a picture of those who have used their time, who have used their money, who have used their home, who have used their energy for himself who have dedicated their family to him, who have dedicated their everything to him. That's the picture that we have here. And when we do that, there will be fruit. There will be a profit. And we think, well, it sounds like hard work. Well, the Christian life can be hard work, let's be honest. There can be trials and there can be difficulties, and sometimes it seems easier. Certainly the devil makes it seem easier just to give up or to go the other way. But we should remember, and, and you've maybe experienced this yourself, or you know of those who have, there are some people and their work is a joy to them. It's a joy. Sadly, even within the church, we've got into the way of thinking that, that work is just a necessary evil, something that we have to do to get money into our bank. That's not the way that the Christian was taught to think about work. It's not the way that the Reformation taught us to think about work. Not just a way of getting money into your pocket, but a calling, a way to serve people, a way to serve the Lord. And when we think of work like that, and when we find ourselves employed in, 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 a, in a place or in a, an employment which, which, which we feel that we are made to do and made to serve, in, then work can be and should be a joy. And that's, friends, the way that the Christian life is. That's the way that work is in the Christian life. You know, you'll find that the people who work hardest in this church, who do many things behind the scenes, who spend great amounts of time in prayer and doing things self-sacrificially, they will be the most joyful. And those who spend the least time can't be bothered. Many cases, these will be the, those with the least spiritual joy. And so he comes and he says, this is what I've done and this is what I have. And the master says in verse 21, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. It's a remarkable thing. He comes, and this is a vastly wealthy man who has many people working for him, who owns many slaves, and he congratulates him. And he seems to, to share his joy, to share his delight. And he says, Well done. What an amazing thing you've done. He congratulates him. And we should remember, friends, we can feel so insignificant within 
even in the sight of God, within the church, in our own Christian walk, we can feel that many of the things that we do, nobody notices. God himself doesn't notice. But every good work, every prayer, every word and season, every self-denial, anything at all done for the Lord, it is written in his book of remembrance. God sees it. Not only does he see it, but he takes great delight in it. Greater delight than you can ever imagine in your work in your faithfulness, feeble as you may see it. So he congratulates him and he, and he promotes him. And he says to him here, um, you've been faithful over a little. Now, five talents, two and a half million pounds isn't a little, but compared to what he's going to have um, responsibility over, it's, it's nothing. He promotes him. It's nothing compared to the responsibility that you're going to have now, because I've seen that I can trust you. You've honored me and I will honor you. And again, the Lord, if we work for him and if we use all that we have for his glory, then he has given us exceeding great and precious promises as well. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. God has promised a crown of righteousness to all of his people. He's promised us that we will sit with him upon his own throne. He's promised us heaven and service in heaven responsibility in heaven, work in heaven. He's promised us all of these things. If you've been faithful over a little in this world, well, you shall be faithful in much in the world to come. And then thirdly, and finally here, he invites him. He says, enter into the joy of your master. Um, enter into my joy, he says. Come and share my joy, my gladness, my happiness, my blessedness. That's how one of the translations puts it. I can't remember which one. Come and share in your master's happiness. It's, I am happy. I am rejoicing. And I want you to rejoice with me. A wee bit like the prodigal son when he came and he came trembling to his father. And his father, he put on a feast and the fatted calf was slain. And there was music and dancing. And he said, come and celebrate with me. You're coming trembling and full of fear. I'm rejoicing. Come and share in my happiness. And so the Lord says to each of us who seek to serve him, and on that day when we shall stand before him, if we have done our utmost for him, serving him through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, he will say, Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. And what a wonderful, joyous reward awaits the people of God. What a reward awaits you, Christian for your service, for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I has not seen nor ear heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man what things the Lord hath prepared for those who love him. Yes, as we often hear, the Spirit has begun to reveal these things to us, but he's only begun to reveal these things to us. There is so much more, so much more glory, so much more joy than we can ever imagine. Very briefly, let us consider the two-talent man in verse 22. And he also who had two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made you two talents more. Now, essentially the same thing happens as with the five-talent man. So I'm not going to spend time on it, although we could. But just to say this, this man didn't have as much ability as the five-talent man. He didn't have as much opportunity as the five-talent man. And yet... Like we read of Mary of Bethany, uh, he did what he could. He did what he could with what he had. 
And at the end of it all, he had this little profit. He'd been given two talents, he had two talents more. He didn't have as much as the other man. Uh, and yet, he had what he had. And the remarkable thing is that the Lord was, seems to be just as delighted with him as he was with the five-talent man. Not only that, but in verse 23, he's given the same reward. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And the point here, just briefly, is this. You perhaps feel and know that you don't have the talents, the gifts, the opportunities that some other people have. You know that, if you're honest with yourself. Um, but God knows it as well. And God knows the investment that he's made in you. He knows that. And he doesn't expect a disproportionate return. The Lord is not a hard or a cruel master. For unto whomsoever much is given, of him shall much be required. But the reverse of that is this, unto whomsoever little is given, less is required. Less is required. And so whatever your health, whatever your opportunity, whatever your natural gifts, the lesson here is just use it for the Lord and uh, set your own, put your own investment in him. Or as the apostle says to the Corinthians, therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Do what you can. God doesn't ask you to do anything more, but do what you can with the little that you have. And he will say to you, as he will say to the great men and women of God, enter into the joy of your Lord. But I want to spend just a wee bit more time on this one talent man. So we see him here in verse 24. Because he who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. And I went and I hid your talent in the ground. Here, have what is yours. How different this man is. How different his attitude is to his master. He says, I knew that you were a hard man. That word hard is actually a Greek word that, that you will know. Um, it's the word sclerosis. We speak of um, an illness called multiple sclerosis. And it speaks of the hardening of arteries or, or different parts within the body. And that's where we get this word hard from. Um, He's saying, I knew, you, I knew you were stern. I knew you were merciless. I knew that you were cruel. And that's why I did what I did. That's why I'm not giving you anything. Here, have what's yours. But I wonder, when we read this, it sounds like, well, I heard that you were cruel. I, I know, know that you're a guy who reaps where you didn't sow and gather where you scattered no seed. It's as if he's saying, well, I know this. I've got evidence. I've got proof. I've seen this. I've heard of this. But was the Lord hard? Was he cruel? Was he merciless? Well, it certainly doesn't look like it, does it, from the way that he treats the other two. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your God. He doesn't look like a hard man. Doesn't look like an unfair guy, does he? Doesn't look merciless. And I think that what we have here is all part of the one talent man's Sinful imagination. That's what it is. He has a skewed picture, a skewed caricature of his master. And because he has that, because he refuses to see his master as he is, because he's held a grudge against him, he refuses to work for him. You know, friends, a lot of people have a skewed picture of God. 
Perhaps you're here today and you've got a skewed picture of God. You think God is hard. You think he's a tyrant. You think he's cruel. You think he's merciless. And because you have this caricature, and a caricature it is, read your Bible. It's a caricature. Read your scriptures. But because you have this idea of God as somebody who is hard, somebody who actually is not good, you decide that he isn't good, so you decide that because he is not good, you're not going to serve him. You're not going to love him. You're not going to live for him. So the talent that God has given you to use for himself, you, you bury it. You say, this is what you gave me and this is what I give you back. So you say, well, I haven't lost anything. I gave you what, what you gave me. And, and we might look at ourselves like that and say, well, I'm not a Christian. I come to church once a week and, you know, I, I do my bit and I pay a lip service. I'm not a Christian, but I'm not bad and I'm not ungodly. I don't mock the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't take his name in vain, as some people do in my workplace. I don't pick up the Bible and criticize it and say that it's full of mistakes, as many people do who've never read the Bible. I don't slag off the church. I try to do unto others as I do unto myself. I don't really do any harm. So surely I'm safe. And you can be very careful like that. And, and you, can talk about all, you can talk all day about the things that you don't do. But what about the things that you leave undone. Um, what have you done? Okay, you haven't done this and you haven't done that, but what have you done for the Lord? What have you really done? Because when we come to the heart of this message, we see that it's what we do that's important. We, it's often the case that before you're converted, what you, what you emphasize are sins of what we what theologians call sins of commission, sins that we commit, things that we do. What we don't think about as often is sins of omission, things that we don't do, that we ought to have done. And you know, the Lord cares about these things, the things that we ought to have done and didn't do. He cares about these things just as much as the things that we do, which we shouldn't have. So we read here in verse 26, but his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap what I have not sowed and gather what I have scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received it, received what was my own with interest. What he does here is he goes to the heart, to the very cause of the, the disobedience of this man, and he says, you are two things. You are wicked and you are slothful. You are evil and you are lazy. He's saying, you've acted the way that you've acted because of the wickedness of your heart. You have an evil heart of unbelief, departing from the living God. You didn't serve me. You didn't use what I gave you for my cause, for my work, for my wealth. You didn't do it because you didn't care. If you cared at all, you would have at least banked it so that I would have got some sort of um, interest back in it. But you didn't respect me. You didn't respect what is mine you didn't even respect the responsibility that I gave you, so, so you didn't do that. And so it was evident that wickedness, uh, uh, a hatred for his master, was ruling his heart. And that is a sign, friends, that you're not a believer. And it's a sign that wickedness is ruling over your own heart, that you don't care about the things of God, really. You don't care about the church of God. You don't really care about the word of God, what it says. You don't really care about the law of God, what it demands. You don't really care about the gospel of God and what it calls you to. 
You don't really care, as we were speaking to the children, you don't really care about the day of God and the rest that it gives in the Lord Jesus Christ. You just don't care. And you might think, well, it's, it's no big deal. But how does the Lord see that? He says, you, you wicked servant. That's wickedness. That's evil. Unbelief reigning in your heart. And that's why you don't care. He says, you wicked and slothful or, or lazy servant. You know, had this man been told, well, here is a talent. And whatever you make, you can use for yourself. And, and it can be yours. Well, the chances were that he might have worked a lot harder. Might have made a profit for himself. He might have been diligent. Because it was for his master, he was lazy. He just didn't bother. What's interesting is that you have many people in this world, and I'm sure in this room, who are diligent people. And if there's something to do in your house, you're not going to leave it undone. Um, You don't allow the paint to flake in the summer. You don't allow the grass to grow long. You don't leave dishes drying on the rack. Um, You don't leave the place not hoovered and not looking as it ought to be. There's something to do. You do it. You're not lazy. Nobody could point the finger at you and say that you are lazy. Except except in the things of God. except, Except in this. Because the gospel says repent and believe the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. It says deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. It says give your life in my service. For time is short And eternity is long. And not only has the gospel said that to you, but it's God has given you every opportunity, every talent to respond to the gospel. Every opportunity, every talent to serve himself. And yet, if you're honest, perhaps you're here today. I hope you're not, but I expect that you are. And really, you've buried your talent. You've heard plenty sermons, but but you haven't given heed to these sermons. You've got a Bible, but you don't really read it properly. You've been taught to pray, but how often do you really pray? You don't open your mouth for the Lord Jesus Christ. And you say, well, there might be a time to work, but not now. Maybe later I will serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe later I will seek to dedicate my life to the Lord, but not now. Another time, another day, when I'm older, when things are easier, when this particular season in my life has passed, when it suits me, maybe I'll do it, but not now. And God looks down, even this very day, friend, and he says, you wicked and slothful servant, with everything that I have given you, you've returned nothing at all. It's been an utter waste of my time to give you these talents, to place you in that family, in that church, under that preaching, with your time, your money, your home, your car, your family, everything. A wasted investment. And the irony here is that the man thinks that he can protect himself by doing nothing. But in doing nothing, he loses everything. Verse 28, so take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Is that unfair? The one, the one who had one talent, take it away from him, give it to the man with ten. Is that unfair? No, it's just. It's just. We've seen that he was wicked. We've seen that he was slothful. And the Lord preserves the faithful, but he, pre- he, he rewards, plentifully rewards the proud doer. He deals with his friends according to our actions. It's one thing about the judgment day. 
God will be fair. He will be just. The judge of all the earth will do right, and we will know it. We will know that he has done right. And so Jesus says, give it to the man who has served me. Give it to the man who's honored me. As he says in another parable, is it not lawful for me to do what I will with my own? And so he says concerning this man, and we close with this, and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Because he was unprofitable, because he wasted his life, because he had a wicked heart of unbelief, because he was slothful in the things of God, he lost everything. He's cast into outer darkness, away from the light, away from the Lord Jesus Christ and his mediatorial presence, his presence as a savior, away from that into darkness, the darkness of despair, the place where there is weeping, sadness, sorrow, eternally, and gnashing of teeth, anger, bitterness, and rage. It's a picture of hell, friends. We have it described for us again later in the chapter when he says to those who are on his left in verse 41, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and for his angels. Why? Why was he to be cast into hell? Well, not because of any dreadful sins, not because he was a murderer or a rapist or anything like that, but because he did nothing. In fact, when you read down into verses 42 in in the next section, the real picture of the final judgment, you see the same. Why? Why is it that they're cast into hell? Because I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, you didn't welcome me. Naked, you didn't clothe me. Sick and in prison and you didn't visit me. What did I do wrong? You did nothing wrong apart from what you didn't do right. The condemnation is based now, it's not solely based on this, but the emphasis here isn't on the sins of commission, the sins that we commit, but the sins of omission, the things that we refuse to do. And to God, friends, that is a capital crime. To have received everything from him, every opportunity, every talent, and to refuse to do anything with it. You've been given, time has gone, you've been given talents from God. Every one of you, you've been given talents, you've been given opportunities. Let me ask you, what are you doing with it? Christian, you've been given talents, opportunities for service. What are you really doing? Is your life devoted to the Lord Jesus Christ? Is your home and family devoted to the Lord Jesus Christ? What are you doing? Are you bringing back a prophet to the Lord? And you who don't know the Lord Jesus Christ yet, you who are here and still in unbelief, yet to close in with the Lord Jesus Christ, yet to trust in him as your Savior, what are you doing? How much you've received. Will it be your condemnation that with everything that you've heard, every opportunity that you've had, every talent that you've been given, when you stand before God as you will with your own two feet, that your condemnation that was that with it all, with everything that you were given, you did nothing. Surely not. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious and ever-blessed God,
we each of us confess our sin, the sin of not doing as much as we ought to have done, not offering ourselves as a burnt offering, pleasing in the nostrils of Almighty God as much as we ought to have done. Help us, though, from this day to give ourselves and all that we have to the service of the King, the one who loved his people and who gave himself for them, the one who promises uh, wonderful realities to those who serve him. Lord, we pray particularly for any here today who are yet in their sins, who do not have an advocate with the Father and Jesus Christ the righteous. And Lord, thy word tells us that if we do not begin to serve him by trusting ourselves to him and giving ourselves to him, then we can do nothing for him at all. And so we pray for them that by grace and by the power, the irresistible power of the Holy Spirit, that they might give themselves even today uh, to the one who is the saviour of his own people and who promises to wash away all of their sins and to make them useful in his cause. Go before us now, we ask, and forgive us graciously for sin. For Christ's sake, amen. Well, friends, let us conclude our worship by singing to God's praise in Psalm 119. And we're reading from verse 57. Thou my sure portion art alone, which I did choose, O Lord. I have resolved and said that I would keep thy holy word. With my whole heart I did entreat my, thy face and favour free. According to thy gracious word, be merciful to me. I thought upon my former ways and did my life well try. And to thy testimonies pure, my feet then turned I. I did not stay nor linger long as those that slothful are. But hastily thy laws to keep myself I did prepare. Many of the Psalms are a prayer to God. And we should seek by his grace to make this prayer our own prayer today. So let us sing verses 57 to 60 of Psalm 119 to God's praise. Thou my sure portion art alone, which I did choose, O Lord.
Now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.